it really, uh, I, I don't know if, if you've experienced it, but in, after your prayer circles, like if you, if you just pause and just listen to the room, the murmurings of prayers, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, uh, we'll be in Ephesians today. That's uh, kind of in the middle of the New Testament. It's a smaller book, but I'll give you a chance to find that. If you were with us last week, uh, we looked at that, you know, that moment in, in Luke or that moment in every Christmas story where the angels are declaring to the shepherds, hey, there's a new baby, He's, here's a new king. We looked at that story last week as, as uh, uh, an example, and we looked at some history uh, around that, an example of this gospel message that the shepherds were told there's a new gospel, there's a new king in town, he's a savior, he's a lord, he's the Christ, he's going to be good for all of mankind, he's going to bring peace. And what we saw last week is Jesus wasn't the first person that that promise was made about. He's the only one, though, that has been able to come through on that promise generation after generation. Every other king who made promises like that, and what we looked at last week was Caesar Augustus, they make these promises, but then they don't follow through on them. And so we looked last week that, that as we move into Christmas and we look at the declaration that, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Lord, that he's the king, and how that was told to all the people, we remember just like, just like them then and us now, we have people all around us who's made those kind of promises. But, but if you talk to people, if you, if you know people who have a history of following Jesus, there's something different about them. Their ability to have real peace as opposed to just promised peace that's bankrupt. Their ability to, not, to, to have a sense of truth and a sense of purpose as opposed to the bankrupt versions of that. It seems to be that the gospel of Jesus has been true all this time, uh, and we have, we have reason to worship. And so what I wanted to do today was look at Ephesians with you, uh, because in the book of Ephesians, Paul is explaining to his audience, the church in Ephesus, he's explaining to them the mystery of the gospel. So he uses that political term again, the mystery of this, of this invasion plan that God has began at the beginning of time. God made all of these promises in Genesis and in Exodus, and he made all these promises in the, in the prophets. He made all of these promises in the Old Testament. And then with Jesus, we see the fulfillment of these promises, and it's starting to come to pass. And so Paul wants to outline the mysteries of the gospel, and he explains you know, what it's like to be citizens, that we're, as followers of Jesus, that we should be, uh, how, how do you become a citizen of this new kingdom? Well, Ephesians says that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not, it's not a vote. It's not, a, it's not something you earn. You don't have to go and win the battle. The battle's already won. But if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom, instead of a citizen of the world, if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom, it's by faith, uh, uh, by grace through faith. Uh, who's, who's the king in the new kingdom? Well, Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. So if you look at all of Ephesians, uh, here is Jesus. Here's how he's manifested himself. Here he is as, as king. And, oh, so what should we do as citizens? Uh, Paul would, would say, well, you need to walk in love. He's kind of closing out the book of Ephesians that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, he's your king and you're in the kingdom, then, then we're seasoned by love. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the end of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to look at like how does Paul wrap up his line of thinking right here. If, if the gospel is true, if Jesus Christ was born on you know Christmas as we're celebrating this time of year, if he's born and he is the king, if all of these things are true, then what? Paul is going to outline at the end of this message, at the end of Ephesians, he's like, well, then if, if that's true, then you are strong. If Jesus is the Lord, if he did come, if he was the promised king, then you, as followers of Jesus, are strong. So we want to look at the strength at the end of uh, Ephesians in chapter 6. We'll start in, in verse 10, and we'll work our way forward from there. 
It says uh, in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. There's that word, the Lord means king. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. As, as Paul is landing the, the, the plane on his line of thinking, he's like, the, the final thing I need you to know is that you should be strong in the Lord. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring this message up now, like, Jesse, this is the week before Christmas. Shouldn't we be doing, like, angels and shepherds again? Like, shouldn't we be, like, birth of Jesus? Yeah, I think, I think that there's a room for that, and we'll, we'll look at that some more, and we'll have the Christmas story next, next week. But, but I'm talking to a group of people that some of you are going to be traveling to family. Some of you are grieving. Some of you, the holidays are the most stressful time of the year, and there's no bigger holiday than Christmas. And so so all of the joy that's wrapped up in Christmas, yes and amen. All of the hope that's wrapped up in Christmas, yes, please give me more hope. But there's a lot of of, of hurt, and there's a lot of pain. And so what, what should we learn from it? Well, finally, if the gospel is true, Paul says, you can be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, or in the strength of his might. Notice, notice what it says right here, though, is that it says be strong. Okay. And so some of us, we, we go to church or we do our religious things because we want to get strong. What Paul is saying is something a little different than this. Okay. He's not saying something that you need to work at. He's talking about something that you need to kind of just wake up to. This is, this is not the kind of strength that like, Hey, I did 10 push up, push ups, uh, every week for the last, you know, 10 years. And now I have worked this hard and I can flex. There are things in the Christian life that you need to get stronger on. Uh, but this isn't one of them. The kind of strength that we're going to talk about this morning, the kind of strength that Paul lands Ephesians on, the kind of strength that we want to celebrate in Christmas, is the kind of strength that we get to wake up to. It's in the passive sense of just, just be strong. Know who you are in Christ. Lean into it. Uh, th- this is something that as followers of Jesus, we have access to immediately. So uh, let's let's just play a, a little what if game real quick. Let's say um, you have uh, I don't know endless amount of money in your pocket and you just want to do a thing. And so you just straight pull an Elon Musk and you go buy your favorite restaurant in the whole world. Like you you your entire life you wanted to be the owner and CEO of Taco Bell and you're like, hey, today's the day. Okay, today's the day. I'm going to go and I'm going to go buy Taco Bell. And you just you hand them that. They hand you the keys to the Taco Bell kingdom. You are now CEO of Taco Bell and you do it's like day one, you, you wake up, you walk into your first Taco Bell, you walk in, you look at the menu, and you're like, this is mine. You're surveying your whole kingdom, and you look at the menu, and they have removed your favorite item from the menu. Like, for, for now and forevermore, the Mexican pizza is just gone, okay? They, you want it back. It was here for like three months, and then it went away again. And you, as CEO, you're just like, what? How, how is this possible? You're the CEO of Taco Bell. Do you have the power to bring the Mexican pizza back? That's a, that's a good, okay, do I have, well, there's a lot going, you've never run Taco Bell before. Raise your hand if you've run a multi-billion dollar, you know, I don't know how many it is, but restaurant, you liar. Uh, no, no, there's something about it. Like you have the authority to bring the Mexican pizza back, but you may not have the skills yet. You may not have learned like, oh, I'm supposed to do that. You, you may, you may need to like have a meeting with somebody and kind of talk to them like, okay, how, what's the best way to do this? The question isn't what's the best way to bring the Mexican pizza back. But as a, as the CEO, you absolutely from day one have the authority to. And so what we're going to talk about today is this idea that as followers of Jesus, you may not know this yet. You may not know all the things about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But if you have, are a follower of Jesus, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, you have immediate access to the kind of strength that Paul's going to talk about right now. 
You may, you may need someone to teach you, like, hey, I, I know you've been crying about the Mexican pizza for the last six months. You know you can just like write a letter and make it come back. Maybe, maybe uh, you don't have to be beat up this holiday season if Jesus is true. We, we, want to, we want to learn what is the strength that Paul is talking about. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's a weird phrase at the end, by the way, in the strength of his might. It's like, it's like be strong in the Lord and in the strong of a strong, right? It's, it's weird in English, in the, in the strength of his might. That word uh, strength right there is uh, uh, kratos, uh, kratos, K with a K in Greek, and then uh, might at the end, and the strength of his might is exousia. And so these are two different words, uh, and in English it would be something like this. Uh, that, word, that first word, the kratos and the strength, this is, this is like flexed strength, okay? This is someone who is not only strong, but they're using their strength. This is someone who can pick up 500 pounds, like they're squatting 500 pounds, and you actually see them doing that. This is when the, the muscle is activated. And then, and then that word might, exousia, is just like, you're just obviously strong. You're not doing anything. It's kind of like what you're thinking about me right now. That dude's swole, and I can just tell by looking at him that he's strong. Is, this, is, this is unactivated strength. And so what Paul is saying here is the difference between like flexed, activated strength, and just like, it's just so obvious how, how powerful he, he is. In the kratos of his exousia, in the strength of his might, Let's, let's say, uh, for example, uh, it's Christmas morning, and you're, you're in your living room. The family's about to come in, and there's a knock at the door, and you open the door, and it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And he's, he's just like, hey, Merry Christmas. I am here. And he walks in, and you're looking at this guy, and you're like, you just look at him, and you can tell, just, man, he can handle himself. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he doesn't need your help in a fight. He's just strong. He's just a big, strong, bulky kind of guy, but he's doing nothing at this moment. That would be exousia. That would be the might. Like, you're just looking at the rock, and you're just like, holy cow, like he can handle himself. And then there's another knock at the door and all these ninjas come in and they're like trying to steal your Christmas presents and they're just coming. And Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he jumps into action, right? He grabs these ninjas, he's throwing them off. And as he's doing this, like it's obvious that he's strong. Like he is activated in that strength. What Paul is telling us right here is that we can be strong in the Lord. Why? Because God is so obviously strong. If you just sit back and look at all of creation, it is obvious what he has done. But he has activated that strength in the cross. He has, he has shown himself powerful and he's like flexing on this world in, in the Christmas story that Jesus is the Lord in, in that. I wonder, um, I wonder if, if you in here, uh, there's a phrase that we use a lot around Carpenter's Way. Have you built a history of trusting the Lord, a history of following the Lord? Do you have a history of seeing the Lord activate his strength in your life? You prayed a thing. And your marriage was restored. You, you made, you made these commitments and it didn't look like it was going to work out, but somehow the Lord just does what he does and it, it came together. You've seen the Lord flex in a way and you just think, man, that's the God that I'm following. It is so obvious that he's in control of this world. It's so obvious that he is good. And I can just look at him and he's, he's mighty. I can rest and I can trust in his strength. Paul, as he's landing this, He's saying, he's saying, if the gospel is true, you can be strong in the Lord because he is, he is flexed in this way that is so obvious for us to see. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, he says, put on 
the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Um, if, if you have your Bible in front of you and you're not against like underlining uh, and writing in it, just, just put an underline or a box around the word stand. I'll come, I'll come back to it in a moment. He says, put on the, the notice he says, the whole armor of, of God. This is the whole armor that we're going to talk about here in a second, not just part of it. We're not just going to, we're not just going to pick up the belt or just pick up the, the shoes. He says the whole armor. You know, a lot of people, why, why do a lot of people start going to church for the first time? This is, this is interesting. I, the first time I went to church is because I lived with my grandparents and they couldn't figure out how to discipline me right into right behavior. Uh, like they tried all the normal discipline things and I still was a knucklehead and they're like, I don't know what to do. We're just going to throw the kid in church. And so that's how my family started going to church. Now, it wasn't because of something was true. It wasn't because they had an aha moment and God just revealed himself to them. It was, it was out of desperation. Why, why do people start going to church? Why do, why do you start going to church? Uh, a lot of times people start going to church because life is going a little bit sideways, so I need to, I need to get to church. A lot of people start going to church because their behaviors, they're like, I, I need some help with this thing that I keep doing, or my mouth keeps getting me in trouble, or in my case, my kids are knuckleheads, and so, so I'm going to start going to church. And when we go to church for those reasons, we tend to just kind of put on the pieces of the armor that fit that season, that moment. We put on partial things. And then, and then when the behaviors change or the season changes, then, then we, we maybe miss out. Maybe we, we drift away. Paul is going to say here that we need to put on the whole armor of God. That what we're going to talk about in a moment is not just this piecemeal thing. He's talking about how do we get access to the strength that he's promising? How do we get access to the strength that we have that is in Jesus? so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says that we're going to stand against the schemes of the devil. I don't know if you know this. Um, this isn't the most comforting Christmassy kind of thought, but like, you, you know, there's, there's the good guy in the story, and there's the bad guy in the story, right? That, that there's the schemes of the devil. Like there, there, there are forces that we're going to talk about here. Like there, there, there is a whole, uh, 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 resistance against Jesus being Lord. And you've experienced that. Uh, and, and we're, we're supposed to stand strong in the Lord so that we can stand against the, the schemes of the devil. The word, uh, scheme, uh, it is, it is, uh, uh, where we get our word methods from or methodological study. The, 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 what Paul is wanting us to see here is, you, you know, uh, any, anybody who like passed some college classes and you had to study a thing, right? You, know, you have a few, you know, people. You, you had to, you had to work hard, right? You had to, you had to know the, like all the methods of this thing. You had to read this book from top to bottom. That, that this devil that, that Paul is going to bring up here, uh, he's, he's not just like guessing on how to stand against you. He's not just guessing on how to make your life go sideways. He's been working at it for a long, long time. He has all of the methods worked out. From the beginning of time, we, you can, we, in our last series, we looked at in Genesis, the serpent shows up. He's been working at how to untangle this knot from the beginning of time. He is longer living than you. He is smarter than you. And Paul is saying that the strength that we have gives you the power to stand against him. How, how is that possible? That we're going to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, let's see. Let's, let's see how. Verse, verse 12. He says, For uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
It's interesting to me that in the verse before this, he said that you may be able to stand. He like points at someone. He's like that you may be able to stand. And then in this verse, so that because why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't. I don't know if you do this in your house, but when I'm talking to my kids uh, and and they're, they're, they say something mean to a friend, I don't say you don't say that. I don't say you're you're not supposed to talk that way. You don't treat people that way. What do I say? Because I'm I'm a dad. I say we don't I. I say we because I'm wanting, I don't want my child to, to feel the weight of my finger pointing at them. I want them to identify with, no, as a people group, as, as the Loftons, we don't talk to people that way, right? That's what we don't do. What, what Paul is saying right here, he kind of puts on like his dad hat and he's saying, I want you to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Step one, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It is, it is an identifying fact of Christians that your enemy is not someone with a face on them. That is not the case. Because why? Because everybody's been made in the image of God. Your, your coworker, made in the image of God. You know that one person in accounting that like is always about the numbers is like, hey, listen, I've got things I got to do. Yeah, made, made in the image of God. You're, you're not wrestling against him. Uh, you're, you're not wrestling against Aunt Patty or whoever that you have it. You're not. That's not, that's not who your enemy is when Christmas comes around. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Um, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I, I, uh, I interviewed for a job once where, um, I'm becoming like a, kind of in a supervisory role and then I get the job and, and so it's like day one of the job. And so my supervisor is carrying me kind of through the offices saying, okay, this is, this is this person's office. This is, and as we're going, she would introduce me to people. Uh, and then, and then it would go something like this. It was like, Hey, this is Susie. Just want you to, you know, this is what Susie does. Okay, great. And then as we're walking away from Susie, she would say things like, Hey, listen, just watch what you say around Susie. She's, she's like, you know, she's just gossip. Oh, okay, great. And then we'll kind of go around like, Hey, this is, this is Bill. Bill's going to help you get all your paperwork in order. He'll get you your badge, your credentials. Great. Okay. And then as we're walking away from Bill, he's like, oh, Bill, he's kind of an arrogant guy. You know, it's just like, it's just kind of, and then, and then after, after we go through the entire office and I know who's on which side of the line, uh, we, we end up back in our office and we're kind of debriefing. And there's a statement of, well, we, uh, we act this way. We talk to people over here. We don't trust them. It was a lot of, it was a lot of we. And what was happening is that this line was being drawn in the sand that, that I'm supposed to be, if I'm going to identify with the supervisory level of this, this organization that I'm in, I'm supposed to agree with her that these people aren't to be trusted and that these people are. And what Paul is saying is that your battle isn't against somebody with a face. That's not what your true, true battle is. You know, what, what would that look like in, in your world? Well, your, your true battle is not against your boss whenever you're having that performance review and they're talking about kind of, you know, what's measuring up, what's not. That's not your true battle. Your true battle is what's in the job description, what's in your abilities, what's in your skills, what's in, what's in, uh, uh, the performance. Your true battle is, is the performance. Well, what, what about in the family? What about, um, you know, my, me and my spouse, we do not see eye to eye on, I don't know, fill in the blank. Uh, this is hypothetical. Me, me and Ashley, we see eye to eye on everything. But uh, we, we don't see eye to eye on uh, how we're going to handle the money. Or we don't see eye to eye on how we're going to discipline the kids. Well, your true battle is not against your spouse who doesn't agree with you on these things. The true battle is over unmet expectations. Your true battle is over communication skills. Your true battle is over intimacy and trust. Your true battle is not against your, your spouse. 
We have a political season coming up, and every, everything on TV is going to tell you that, that you, should, you should vote this way. And if you don't vote this way, not only are you an idiot, but you're like completely bankrupt. Like you're morally, and like we can't stand you. Your true battle is not against Republicans versus Democrats or uh, against these people with faces. Your true battle is over a system that objectifies people's viewpoints and pigeonholes them into these black and white, no room for middle ground senses of, of we can't trust each other. Your, your true uh, battle is objectivity. Your true battle isn't against uh, one church or a preacher versus another church or preacher. If, if you're new to Carpenter's Way, uh, this may come as a shock, but like from this stage, we just generally don't talk bad about other followers of Jesus. We don't, we don't mention other churches by name in a negative sense. We don't, we don't berate them. Uh, if, if you're watching this later or you're thinking about this later and you attend a church that does that, I would just recommend that that's, that's not really what, what the Lord has for the people, because our true battle isn't against another church across the way. They're on the same team as us. Our true battle is over unity and fellowship, the, the, that we should fight. Paul would say this later, that we should fight for this church to be unified with one another, not against each other. Your true battle, if you're in a, uh, a custody situation with a child, it gets so it gets so hairy. Your ex spouse is saying just villainous things about you, and it's easy to think that that is the enemy. She or he is the enemy. How dare and and if that person has a face on, if they're flesh and blood, Paul is saying that's not where your true battle is. Your true battle is over the system that is trying to take this this broken home and and make it balanced for a child and meet this child's needs. Your your true battle is is more complicated than just pointing at a person saying that they are the enemy. What Paul is trying to get us to say is that if we're going to be strong, we're going to remember where our true battle is. And if the, if the enemy in your true battle has a face like you, is a human like you, it is a, at best a distraction. And at worst, you're in partnership with the evil one. It, it, it is a, a disastrous and uh, a culturally paradigm-shifting mode to say, I am not in a battle against this person. You can disagree, uh, but your battle is in truth against the systems, the rulers, the powers, the authorities the, the, uh, that are over this, this present age, against spiritual forces, in the evil, uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What Paul is going to say is that, that your battle... Uh, echoes the battle from the beginning of time that we uh, are are participating in in what the serpent began uh, and we're choosing as followers of Jesus we're choosing to put our hope in the Lord instead so what do we do okay what do we do uh, according to Paul let's go to verse 13 it says therefore if all these things are true if our battle is is not against flesh and blood if we can be strong in the Lord therefore what do we do Take up the, there's that word again, whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. If you were underlining or unboxing, I'd like you to underline that word withstand and underline that word stand again. There it is again. It, it, it pops back up. Uh, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Uh, I, I don't know if this is going to come as a shock to you, uh, but there's a lot of, of evil around us. 
Like this room is safe. Like we're, we're a bunch of people who are just trying to put one foot in front of another following the Lord. But when we walk out of here, the world says, if you're not strong enough, we're going to chew you up. The world uh, has, has evil. And if, if that, if, if you're not aware of that, if you, if you haven't experienced that kind of grief, if you haven't experienced that kind of hurt, man, praise God. I'm so thankful for you. But one day the sharp edge of the world is going to cut. It's going to hit. It's going to hurt. And you're going to say, why does this hurt so much? And Paul says, because it's evil. There's evil in this world. And what he wants us to be able to do is to have enough armor, to have enough skin, uh, that as we're strong in the Lord, that we can withstand this evil day. So verse 14, there's that word again, underline it if you're writing in your Bible, the word stand. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Paul is, um, from this point forward, he's going to outline what we know of as the armor of God. There, there are six pieces of it. I'm not going to try to explain every piece. You can, you can do your own study. It's worth, it's worth you doing your own study. In fact, let me give you a little tip. If you want to go back and study this on your own, uh, just, just know that all of the pieces of the armor of God are mentioned in the book of Isaiah. And every time it's mentioned, it's being worn by the same character in the book of Isaiah. So, so uh, email me or come talk to me if you connect those dots later. I want to I want to look at what he's going to explain as the armor of God. The the first is is uh, that we're going to fasten on the belt of truth. Now belts are good. Uh, belts are keeping people's pants on right now in the room. So uh, praise God for that. Uh, we we love that. But it's the it's the belt of of truth. And truth is it's the opposite of of a lie. There in this world there are a lot of counterfeit promises being made, a lot of counterfeit gospels, a lot of, a lot of lies out there. In fact, there are so many lies out there uh, that tell you where your hope is. There's so many lies, especially around Christmas time, oh my goodness, that says this is where your joy should be, uh, that, that it's a little overwhelming. Like, what are we supposed to do with all of these lies? I've got great news for you. If, that, if that's terrifying to you, uh, this, this is really good. You don't figure out what is and is not a lie by studying the lies. You don't figure out uh, what a counterfeit dollar bill looks like by studying all of the counterfeit dollar bills. You will go crazy trying to figure out all the different ways that they can counterfeit a thing. If, if you are a bank teller, uh, the, what they train you on is not how to spot the counterfeit, but how to know what the truth is so well, so clearly. It, it like just, just the hint of a counterfeit dollar bill coming across a bank teller's table. It's immediately obvious by the texture, by the smell, by the way that one head, the greens are wrong. Because why? Because they know the real thing so, so well. What Paul says to us is that you don't need to know everything that the world's going to throw at you. You do need to know the truth. You need to know the truth of the gospel so well that you fasten your belt and it becomes so obvious to you that you can, you can stand against the lies. You immediately spot what they are because you fastened the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of, of righteousness as followers of Jesus, uh, the question is like, what makes you worthy to stand in front of a holy and righteous God? So many of the lies of this world, by the way, they will point to you. They will find your flaw and you have one. I have one at least one, uh, they'll find it, they'll point to it and say, there it is. That's why you can't stand before God. You're not righteous enough. Oh, the way that you talk to your friend, is that how Jesus would have talked to your friend? No, it's not. You're not righteous enough. See, see, and, and they'll point to our flaws and say, you're not righteous enough. But the breastplate of righteousness isn't your righteousness. This is the beauty of it. Is that as followers of Jesus, that we've been saved by grace through faith says this. It's not about whether or not I've earned this righteousness, my friend. Jesus has earned this righteousness. See, the beauty of being a follower of Jesus, especially at Christmas time, is this, is that God looks down on broken, imperfect mankind, 
and sends his son to die on the cross so that he can transfer his righteousness, the one that he did in fact earn, and he hands it to you. He says, if you're going to be a follower of me, you get my righteousness. Just give me your sin. I'll take all the punishment for that. Our breastplate of righteousness isn't how good we are. It's how good Jesus is. So when, we, when we're true and when we're like, we have clear goggles on what the gospel is, when, when Christmas comes, especially, like we, we see, uh, how to, how, like it's not my righteous, righteousness, it's, it's Jesus's. And so I can put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it says, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's interesting to me that, that Paul uses shoes for the, the gospel of peace. Uh, we, we looked at a ton of gospels last week. One of those was Marathon, right? The gospel of Marathon. A runner had to run a message from Marathon, 26.2 miles, and deliver the good news uh, to, to Athens. This gospel, this message that Jesus is Lord and so-and-so is not, that there's hope and promise that's found in Jesus, this is like shoes that we put on. We, we run with this message as followers of Jesus. Verse 16, in all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's, it's funny to me, it's not just a dart. Like Paul is getting super graphic. It's a, it's a flaming dart. Uh, the thing about a flaming dart is you can stop the dart and it hits your shield and then it just still kind of burns and it kind of, it kind of hits. Like there, there are multiple ways that it, it can hurt you. Uh, Ashley and I, we watched the TV show. I think it's called, uh, 19, 1893. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, anyhow, uh, and, and it's like an old Western kind of show. Is it 93? What year was that? 18. Somebody knows? Yeah. 83. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, and one, one, one of the, the episodes, someone gets hit by an arrow and just kind of grazes them. And they're like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, it didn't do anything. They're like, Oh, but who shot the arrow? And is this one Indian tribe? It's like, Oh no. Like, Oh, what happened? Like, you don't, you don't know about that tribe? No. What, what happened? Well, they dip the ends of their arrows in manure because like it's going to cut you, but then like you got to deal with the infection. Right. And so this, this, this flesh wound ends up festering and it causes problems. Like he, he views the enemy as like this really crafty, like he's shooting darts at you and there's a lot of ways that it can hurt you. It can burn you. It can, it can pierce you, but it's the shield of faith that we hold up. This, this idea of, of faith is, a, is it's your belief. What, what are you putting your faith in mostly? I wonder if, if we're honest, like we want to be strong, uh, and a lot of times we're taught, like especially like a message like this, to be strong in the Lord. But I, I want to be strong in the Lord, but just in case, I'm going to be strong in myself too. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can to like kind of fortify my life a little bit against these flaming darts of the enemy hitting me. And one day it's going to hit, it's going to hit the house. It's going to hit the, it's going to hit the bank account. It's going to hit the, the marriage. It's going to, and it's going to hurt. What's going to protect all of these things? There's only one truth in this world that I found that to not be bankrupt to not let you down. It's the truth that Jesus is Lord. And if you put your hope in him, you can, you can extinguish and block against these, these darts. Let's, let's keep going. I want to finish the armor here pretty soon. Verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. Uh, if, if you were, uh, if you were a Roman guard and you're putting on your armor, uh, the helmet is the last thing you put on. Imagine how hard that would be. Like you put on your helmet first and you're like, I can't get these shoes on. I can't see the breastplate, the belt keeps falling. Like it's the last thing that you put on. And, and for Paul, it's like the helmet of, of salvation. This is like, you're going to put on the fact that you are a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. You are, you are a, 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 a follower of Jesus. You're a child of God. Here's your helmet. 
It's the last thing you put it on. And when you have that on, your armor is complete. I, I, am, I am saved. The question here, this hope, the strength that we want to talk about, uh, is are you a follower of Jesus or are you just putting your toes in the water? This is not one of those messages of, well, if I just think Jesus-y thoughts, I get the Jesus-y things. They're, they're like, you can pray and not be a follower of Jesus, but, but this strength is only accessible to people who are followers of Jesus. And so it's this helmet of salvation. And he says, in the sword of the spirit. Notice this is the only offensive piece of the armor. I, I hear a lot of people talk about that. Um, everything else, like how are you going to fight someone with a breastplate of righteousness? Like, I'm going to get you, and you just take your breastplate off. You, you, you can't. You can't defend your. You can defend yourself. You can't attack with a breastplate of righteousness. You can't attack with the sword of the spirit. And he says it's the it's the word of God. It's this. It's what we study as scripture. When when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, the devil would say something to him, and the only words that came out of Jesus's mouth was him quoting the scriptures back at the devil. What, what do you use to fight back against the lies? You can stand, you can take the hits, but what do you use to fight back? We have to have a steady diet of, of God's word in us, which is why when you come to church here, and if you visit another church, I would recommend you go to churches that teach the word of God, not a, someone's opinion. Like there's, there's room for jokes. I try, you know, there's all that. But if, if you walk away and nobody's taught you something about the word, then you, you're swordless. All you can do is take the, the hits. It says in verse 18, pray, uh, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There it is again. For which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He ends after we, after, after the soldier, this metaphorical soldier puts on all the armor, grabs a sword. What does he want you to do? It's like pray for each other. Pray, pray, pray that you're taken care of. Pray that the people who are next to you are taken care of. And then Paul's like selfishly like pray for me too, because I got things I got to say and I'm, you know, I'm about to die, but I got things I got to say. Pray that I be bold. What, what we should do as soldiers, uh, if we're going to be strong and stand in this way, um, is we, we, we need to, what are, what are we going to talk about? Are we going to talk about how Disney's letting us down? Are we going to talk about how Starbucks didn't put Merry Christmas on the cup again this year? I don't know if they did or not, by the way. Are we going to talk about who we're supposed to boycott? Are we going to talk about who we're supposed to vote for? Or are we going to get our vision straight, get into the right battle, and we're going to pray for one another? Pray that you're strong. Pray that that circle that we were just in a moment ago, that we're going to, you know what? I, I thought about that on Tuesday and hey, I'm, you texted us away. I, I just, I don't know why I'm praying for you right now. Here you go. You're going through this and I, I bet that that's hard. When I went through that, that was hard. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you that as we stand, we, we pray. If you were underlining and boxing uh, earlier, you, you should have underlined the word stand four times. In, in just these few verses, the word stand popped up four times. In uh, Genesis 3, if, uh, if you remember from the beginning of our last series, Adam and Eve are in the garden and everything was good. Everything was, was fine. They had a great relationship with God. Uh, they, they could ask him anything. Nobody had any shame. Nobody had any guilt. They had nothing but truth in their ears. The truth is you can do anything you want, Adam and Eve. Just don't eat of this one tree because you don't want the consequences of that. But anything else you can do. And, and they're like, great. They had a great existence. Then the enemy comes, the serpent comes and whispers this lie into their ear and says, really though? Is it really going to be that bad? 
Maybe, maybe God's trying to hide something good from you. It, it really, and, and Adam and Eve chose to believe the lie instead of the truth. And we call that moment the fall of mankind, don't we? We, that's, that's, that's what is at the heading at the top. It's this moment of falling. And everything in this world is trying to knock us down, trying to make us fall. But Paul says that you can have the strength in the Lord to what? You underline it four times. To stand. This hope that we have in the gospel has been the, the, the response from the beginning of time that God would give us the strength to stand back up. And every time the world tries to knock you down, you can stand back up because you're strong in the Lord. When, when your friends remind you of why you're not righteous, you can, and they try to knock you down, you can stand back up. When you're sitting around the Christmas table and that one relative who always wants to make the thing an argument and it just beats you down and you're just, I'm hurting and I hate this, you have the strength to stand back up. When, when the job doesn't work the way it's supposed to and you lose the security of the finances and being able to provide for your family and you feel knocked down and you feel like you're letting your family down, everything is down, down, down. Scripture says that you have the strength to stand back up because your hope wasn't ultimately in that. We are strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, as Paul says in verse 10. Because of Jesus, we can stand up and we can stay standing. What, what is the Christmas message this morning? Is that Jesus was born, and because of his life and his perfect life and his death on the cross, you can stand back up, and you can stay standing when the world tries to knock you back down. Some of you will remember when we were uh, as a church meeting in the middle school. Uh, it was really, I, I loved that time of being, having to set up every week. We would walk into a school on a Sunday morning. We would, we would set up a worship room. We would set up a welcome hallway. We would set up preschool area. We'd set up nursery. It was awesome. And every week we would, we would like be working next to each other and like just getting to know each other. There's all these conversations. My oldest son uh, was about two at the time and uh, he wants to help. And so he's, he's walking around with me in this one moment, my, my two year old Luke, he runs to the closet and he wants to get this table to bring to the welcome area and he puts his hands on it and with all of his might and all of his strength, he grabs that table and it doesn't move at all. Why? Because he's two and the table's like eight feet long. He wasn't designed to carry that table. Nobody expected him to, but he wanted to so, so bad. And so I see him do this and I walk over to him and I, I know like I was making jokes about it earlier, I don't look like much, but I, I'm a pretty swole guy. And so I grab that table Right in the middle, I palmed it, and I picked it up to my hip, and I walked off with it, just one-handed, right? And, and my son, two years old, he's like got his hand on the corner of the table, and he's just smiling ear to ear. He's marching. He's got like the strut. Everybody's like, oh, Luke, you're so strong. They would just look at look at your muscles. And like every two-year-old's like, yeah. And to be honest, though, I was doing all the work, and I just, I've been waiting for a while to like bring this up. Like, where's my compliments, right? <laughs> we walked. We walked. He knew where the table goes, and so he kind of steered the whole way. But Dad's doing the work. Dad's the one lifting it. He carries it all the way to the ta- to the spot, and we put it down. And he sets up. He just sits back. He's just so proud of himself. He stood by that table. It was probably like the coffee table or something. But he just stood by that table as proud as he can be because he participated in this thing that Dad really, really did. When when Paul says that that we can be strong in the Lord in the strength of whose might of His might. We trust the heavenly father to do the heavy lifting. And we just have our hand on the corner of the job and we just, we're excited to be a part of it. 
We get to strut. And everybody points at us like, oh, look how well your life is put together. You have nothing wrong in your life. And they, they don't understand. They don't know that you, you have your struggles too. You have the things that, that, you have the flaming darts hitting your family too. The difference between you and those who don't understand is that you're relying on the strength of the Lord. This Christmas, as we move through this last week, as we get, kind of get, it, it's the mixture of sweetness and bitterness. Uh, I, I want to ask the question, are you, are you like the child who's just sitting in the closet wrestling with the table? And your dad is like, hey, let me, let me help you, son. Let me, let me help you, daughter. I'll, I'll carry that for you. You're like, no, I got it. I got it. And you're just struggling. And you're just like, I can't pick this table up. You were never designed to. You just weren't. But if you trust your heavenly father and you lean on the strength of his might, you stand up and you walk Shoulders back, head up, smiling as if you're the one with the strength. And everybody kind of thinks that you have the strength, but you know it's in his might. It's in his strength. He flexed on the cross, and we can trust in his strength. Let me pray for you. Um, I think we have a cue. Do we have a cue? Yes. Okay. Let me pray, and then we'll watch the cue together. Father, God, we thank you for your strength. We thank you that, that in your power, we can stand you don't need us to fight a fight. You don't need us to, to answer. We don't, you don't need us to, to, to help your reputation in any way, Lord. Just help us stand. May we be known as people who trust in your strength. And that as we, as we just, just learn to put our feet under us, as we learn to trust you with the, the small struggles, may we not fight against other people. May we not be distracted with that or participate with the enemy in that way. Lord, help us to just stand and fight against evil, fight against uh, the powers that, that are at odds trying to bring us down. Help us to look out for one another and to pray for one another, pray for boldness and pray for strength. This Christmas, I pray, Lord, that these families in this room would just stand in hope, stand in peace, stand in strength, and declare the goodness of who Jesus is. We love you, and we pray this in his name. Amen.